0: The raid happened in mid-September. Soldiers broke into the office at night. Uh, They stole five working laptops, some hard drives of other laptops, some memory cards, ESPs, books, publications, and left us a note written in Arabic, broken Arabic, of what they've taken from the office and signed it and scratched the signature. At that time, we really didn't know why they've done that. There isn't explanation. Um, We suspected that it's probably because of the cases we're following.
1: The Electronic Intifada.
2: The Electronic Intifada. The
1: Electronic Intifada.
2: This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. And this is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows Friedman with my co-host Asa Win Stanley. Asa, how uh, how are you? And how's the last uh, series finale of the United Kingdom going?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm all right. It's uh, I mean, it it is just a country falling apart. It's 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 it's,
2: <laughs> it's almost
1: literally like this. In my area alone, Um, there's a gas leak, multiple water leaks on the road that I live in, Um, you know, perpetual Brexit drama, Um, and now an election, and uh, yeah, things are just very strange in this country. Um, The election... I don't know we'll see how it goes we'll see what happens um you know they're, they're still trying to revive all this labor anti-semitism uh, smear campaign so it it's it's always kind of tried out um so far it hasn't got a lot of purchase um, but that doesn't mean they won't keep trying to do
2: it um, and what's, what's Jeremy Corbyn's position right now? Do you, uh, what, what are you, what are you hoping for um, with him at the, you know, as the the head of the Labour Party? And, and what are the prospects for, <laughs> for him um, actually moving into more of a position of power in Parliament?
1: I'm hoping that he starts to actually stand up against the smear campaign and to just sort of say that it's it is what it is, which is a smear campaign. Yeah. But unfortunately, he's done the opposite, and he's um, sort of capitulated to it. Um, and it does leave, leave him looking very weak in the Labour Party, and, uh, uh, weak in general. Um, mm-hmm. And what seems to be happening at the moment is that um, his replacement is being groomed within the Labour Party. Um, the the sort of new soft left as it were the momentumites and the the john lansman sort of people seem to be grooming rebecca long bailey um who has bad positions on the issue
2: yeah such as what
1: well i mean she uh, she put out a tweet saying um that um anyone should be expelled from the party from the labor party for um anything that is anti Semitic or perceived to be. So it like basically what that means is that you just have to have one person from the Israel lobby just saying, Well, this is anti Semitic, so you know, therefore by definition, someone accusing somebody of being anti Semitic makes it anti Semitic by definition. That was that's what she was saying. Um and uh yeah, it, it it's I mean it unfortunately is some something that's had a decent amount of purchase within the Labour Party over the last few years. It's kind of indulging this um equivocation, this, this uh equivalence. Um and it's um it's it's really a bad sign of where the party's headed. Um, we don't know where the what's going to happen though with the, with the election in general. Um, wait and see. Like the, Labour's behind in the polls, but um, you know, it, in twenty in the, the last general election in twenty seventeen, the they were behind by a lot more, and they still did far better than expected. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Hmm
2: all right well we will um of course rely on you to keep us posted <laughs> throughout yeah. throughout the next um this phase of this uh the this series finale of the uk um <laughs> well we've got a really wonderful podcast um uh, recently i sat down with lana ramadan she is uh, the international advocacy officer for adamir the palestinian prisoner support organization based in the west bank and um she's she was here on a, a u.s speaking tour Um, And She's actually someone that I've known personally for a long time. I actually um, taught her when she was, or or worked with her, rather, um, when she was uh, about Hmm. 11 or 12 years old in Tehesha Refugee Camp when we were doing a media studies program there. Um, And now she's this big grown-up person doing incredible things. And so it's really wonderful to reconnect with her. Yeah, and and the work that she does with Adamir is... Remarkable, um, and um, so we get into talking about what it means to be a Palestinian prisoner support organization under siege, under occupation, um, and and especially as some of their officers and and lawyers have been targeted and imprisoned, put in administrative detention by uh, by Israeli forces, um, while they're trying to advocate for their clients who are in administrative detention. It's pretty Orwellian. Um, but uh yeah
1: yeah adamir does does really important work and it's uh one of the most vital uh, human rights organizations in palestine and um, perhaps less well known than some others but it's work in support of uh, the prisoners is really vital yeah
2: yeah Yeah, so uh, without further ado let's go to the interview i just did with lana ramadan um and I, i think it begins with her introducing herself Um, So, Asa, thank you so much, and um, here's the interview with Lana. Uh,
0: So, my name is Lana Ramadan. I'm uh, from the refugee camp in Bethlehem. And I'm the international advocacy officer at al Damir is a prisoners organization. It works with the rights of prisoners and represent them legally speaking.
2: Mm. Lana, um, before we get into the general situation for Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails, can you talk a little bit about what's happened to Adamir as an organization in the last month or so? I know that there was a raid um, by Israeli forces in the offices where they stole equipment and hard drives um, and then uh, just recently, the Israeli government imposed a gag order, um, meaning that uh, people at Adamir lawyers and, and officers wouldn't be able to talk about um, certain cases. Can you talk a little bit about what's happened there? so
0: the raid happened in mid September, uh, it was 19th of September, and, uh, I mean, soldiers broke into the office at night. Uh, They stole five working laptops, some hard drives of other laptops, some memory cards, ESPs, books, publications, and left us a note written in Arabic, broken Arabic, of what they've taken from the office and signed it and scratched the signature. Uh, At that time, we really didn't know why they've done that there isn't explanation at any time anyways. Um, we suspected that it's probably because of the cases we're following. At that time, we were following a bunch of cases and interrogations, but we were banned from meeting those uh, clients. So the lawy- they were issued an order that bans them from meeting their own lawyer. And this uh, order was renewed over and over again, so we hadn't met any of them yet. Um, ten days after, not even ten days, the gag order. Just to give you an explanation of it, it was pub- it was um, issued even before the raid. Um, it was issued on the tenth of September for a month and got renewed recently, uh, early October for another month. Um, Again, when it was first issued, we really didn't understand why because we have no communication or any kind of contact with our uh, clients, so we have no idea what the interrogation is about, and none of them, of course, have any charges yet. Ten days after the, um, the raid to our office, we heard, we got the news on, it was a Saturday night. Our lawyer was, received a phone call from one of the interrogators informing him that one of our clients was transferred to the hospital in severe situation. Mm-hmm. His name is Samir Arbid. Samir was um, arrested on a Wednesday, transferred to the hospital on a Friday, and we knew on a Saturday. Uh, he had 11 broken ribs on both sides and a kidney failure. And now he has um, a problem in his breathing system. I'm not sure how to translate it. Um, He stayed unconscious until last Tuesday, so last week. Uh, When he woke up, he couldn't move his legs. They still don't know if it's permanent or not, the doctors. And he's banned from meeting his lawyer. Interrogations resumed with him. So the interrogators go to the hospital and question him in there. But at least he's still in the civil hospital in Hadassah. On that same day, when we received the phone call and knew about Samir, the intelligence department also issued a statement, despite the CAG order. They issued a statement with four names of people we're following and said that three of them were involved in an attack that happened late August in a spring water spring in Ramallah. That resulted with the death of an Israeli settler. Despite this uh, statement, no one has been, until today, uh, issued a a list of charges. No one has been charged officially at all. So this was just a statement by the intelligence department. Um, The gag order, to explain further about it, it's not against Damir itself. It's against the whole public. This gag order is for the public. No one is allowed to publish about anything regarding those cases and interrogations. Um, when it ha- was up uh, issued, it was in a one-sided kind of session. Mm-hmm. So the intelligence department requested the gag order, and in uh, uh, a court in Jerusalem, it was issued without us, the lawyers being there, or the detainees themselves. But we're also the vulnerable group in this issue. So Israeli intelligence department issued, the Israeli organizations have issued, the human rights organizations have issued, the Israeli press extensively issued about it. But if we do publish because we're the legal representatives, we most probably would be followed. So even the bits we've published, we kind of made sure in court that we can publish about them. In the beginning, we were allowed to publish about what happened in court with Samer, that he got extended, the detention period period got extended, but then they kind of reinforced it Mm -hmm. and then renewed it. Mm -hmm. So this is what has been going on. The ones who are in interrogations, the people who are in interrogations, are mainly, um, you know, lots of them are university students Mm -hmm. uh, or newly graduates, um, some are union workers. Samer is the, works in the farmers' union. Um, another one works in the health union. Both offices were raided last month as well. Um, and um, we've got we, may, we were able to visit some of those prisoners. Um, definitely, torture is happening, not only to Samer, um, but again, we're not able yet to publish about the details of it. We will, when uh, we kind of get rid of this gag order. Mm. And they didn't make any distinction between like female, male, young, old, sick or not, and the techniques. They were all implemented in a way or another in the same manner. Mm. At least the two girls have finished interrogations now. They're transferred to the women's section, uh, but yet no charges have been presented. And many people in, during this time were also arrested, some of them ex-prisoners. Majority of them are actually ex-prisoners and were directly taken to offer prison and given administrative detention orders. In short, administrative detention is a really specific kind of detention. It's based on orders and on what they call a secret file. There, ha- there are no charges or sentences in it. One order can be up to six months, and then it can be indefinitely renewed. So the prisoner, him or herself, they really don't know when they can be released or why they're
2: detained. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, how many Palestinian prisoners are in Israeli jails, um, broken down by you know, women, men, children, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the conditions in which um, these prisoners are being held?
0: Um nowadays, there are around 5,000 prisoners, and this number includes around 50 women. There are around 200 children, and I mean, more or less, there are 450 administrative detainees. And I think seven or eight parliamentaries. they're all located in 17 different prisons, and the 17 prisons include four interrogation facilities. Um, in terms of conditions. I mean, when you even think about the fights prisoners do take uh, and did take in their history, they're usually about conditions. Um, Speaking about the priorities uh, prisoners think of, First, they um, try to fight a lot uh, isolation and solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Isolation, according to the prison rules, can be punitive and um, preemptive. Mm-hmm. So if they think that someone might be a risk of the other prisoners, this is how they frame it, they put them in uh, isolation. Uh, another thing th- that is in a high, really high priority for them is the m- uh, medical situation of uh, the sick and injured prisoners. Mm-hmm. There are uh, clinics in all of the prisons. There are doctors in each. There is one doctor in each one of them. But from what we see in the testimonies, the treatment that uh, the prisoners receive is usually either ad- an advice to drink water or in serious situations it's um, painkillers. Only when they know and think that the person is in a really serious condition that might lead to his death, they'll be transferred And usually, first, they'll be transferred to a bigger prison clinic called the Ramla, where they can run tests. And when they know in that clinic and after they run the tests that is actually a serious situation, they'll be transferred to a civil hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's lots and lots of steps. It's not easy to get actual uh, treatment. Um, And many prisoners actually die because of it. Um, Only this year, I think we had so far three and last year another three who died because of uh, medical, uh, being medically neglected. Um, this year we had a unique case about uh, a young man who was 23, I think, his name is um, I think, Ashraf, and uh, he was in administrative detention and he had a really rare skin disease that re- required specific medications. And after, like, around nine months, his health um, deteriorated in a really bad state. So he was transferred to Ramla, the clinic, the prison clinic, stayed there for a month. And then they realized that he has a liver failure. Mm. Um, Just before they knew that he has a liver failure, they renewed his detention period, the administrative detention Um, We kept on appealing, and eventually we reached the Supreme Court, and we managed to release him. In other cases, we wouldn't be as successful, but at least in this one, we were. And I believe because they knew that it's so serious, and that's why he got released. Mm. But other cases, they're not as, let's say, lucky. Um, Other priorities for prisoners um, is when it comes to the daily lives. So food, books, libraries, um, phones. Uh, Phones aren't allowed. Public phones aren't allowed. Uh, Sometimes in three prisons out of the 17, they manage to sneak in illegally some phones. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually the whole prison gets punished for those who sneaked in the uh, phone. And recently, also in April, the prisoners undertook a, like, um, a really short hunger strike. One of the demands was public phones. They've agreed to put them, but they haven't put them yet except in one prison, I think, the children's one. Um, food prisoners are uh, given meals or quantities of food, but they're never enough. And the meals, according to what they say, they always need reprocessing. So s- most of the time they're not really cooked. So they buy lots of food, many lots of frozen food from the canteens that are in the prison. Um, the canteens, each one of the prisoners is allowed to spend 1,200 shekels a month, which is around $300. Mm-hmm. Um, they buy, of course, food, but they also buy everything, sheets, clothes. Uh, shoes, toothpaste, toothbrush, pots, soap, and lots and lots and lots of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just add on the detention conditions when it comes to women. Women in a, are in a really bad uh, facility. It's called the Damun. And the Damun used to be a stable for horses and a storage for tobacco. So, in terms of infrastructure, it's really bad. It's too humid, there are problems. Uh, in electricity, in water, in sewage systems. Uh, the showers aren't in the room, they're in their own room, so women can only take a shower during rec- recreational time. And the shower looks like a beaches shower, so there's no door, um, not outside, and not for the shower itself. So they get sick a lot during the winter because it's too windy inside, and they're watched the whole time. There are cameras, and even if there isn't any cameras, the section of the female prisoners is like a half a circle facing the guards' room, male and female guards.
2: And specifically about children detainees and children prisoners, um, what can you say about um, the way they're treated, access to lawyers, access to parents, Um, and the general conditions of the violations of international law that are, um, you know, so obvious in in this context.
0: According to the military laws, uh, the arrest age is 12. Um, Less than 12 can't be uh, actually arrested and reach the military court system. They can be held, uh, brought for questioning for hours, and this happens a lot, especially in Jerusalem and the old city of Hebron, but they won't be actually arrested. From From 12 to 14, a child can be sentenced to only six months. From 16 to 14, a child can be sentenced to one year unless if the charge brought against him have a maximum penalty of over five years, which is all of them most importantly throwing stones the maximum penalty for throwing stones is 10 or 20 years depending on whether the stone is thrown on a person or a vehicle even if this isn't enforced it's really important when it comes to sentencing children so this one year nice rule is actually for nothing from 16 to 18 are recognized as children but in practice they're more or less adults and they were actually recognized as children in 2009 the only difference that happened to them in reality is that they started living in the children's section in prison, not the adult's one. In the military system, what really matters is the sentencing age, not as what what is assumed to be the crime age. So let's say a child was arrested when he was 13 and a half. Uh, he should leave after only six months, but they don't necessarily sentence the person immediately. So let's say if it took already a year to sentence this child, It's uh, now he will be today um, sentenced. Today his age is 14 and a half. So what the judge will apply to him is the law for 14 to 16 years old. And let's say the charge is throwing stones, so he will be sentenced with more than one year because this is the law again. Uh, so let's say he'll be sentenced to 16 months, he'll be re- be released after four months of the sentencing day. Mm-hmm. Um, so in short, a child can be treated like an adult in court if they want to. As for the conditions in the prison itself, children are kept in their own section, not with adults, but they have one adult prisoner with them, kind of taking care with them. Um, the only main difference when it comes to conditions is that children are allowed education, Unlike adults, higher education is banned, and the education they get doesn't really reach the standard. Uh, it's the minimal, if not even less. They get two classes, Math and Arabic. sometimes they give, give them Hebrew. But from the, what the children tell us, they tell us if one day we've got five hours of class, the actual education would be 40 minutes out of all of those hours. Uh, the books we are using, they're old, and they're not similar to the ones uh, our classmates are having outside of prison. Uh, or we're different levels in the same classroom, which is weird for us. So it's different things. Eventually, it makes them anyways skip school, uh, skip time in school, and repeat this year, or after a while, drop out. So more or less, those are the conditions of the prison, the children in prison.
2: Lena, can you talk about how Ademir operates as an organization um, and the conditions under which lawyers and human rights advocates working with Ademir are are able to, you know, protect their clients? Um, what what are what are what are the conditions for human rights lawyers right now? Um, so Ademir
0: is a human rights organization, similar to the many Palestinian human rights organizations. We're just more specified in one thing, which is prisoners. We give free legal services to Palestinian prisoners in the Israeli jails and to Palestinian political prisoners in the PA, Palestinian Authority prisons. We have nine lawyers, one is part-time. and. Um, majority of them are either Palestinians with Israeli citizenship or Palestinians from Jerusalem because they more or less have freedom of movement and they know Hebrew, which is the official language of the court. Other than the legal unit, we have a documentation unit, awareness unit, which gives l- many trainings and sessions to multiple multiple kinds of people in the society, like students, law students, young lawyers, or there is a known session we give that is called Know Your Rights Session, where a lawyer would go to a community, people would gather, and the lawyer would just lay down the basic rights a person should have if they got arrested. And finally, there's the advocacy unit, the one I work at. We mainly lead campaigns, locally and internationally. Majority of our campaigns are what the prisoners want us to campaign for. So we always have a campaign that is called Stop Administrative Detention. And prisoners do have their fights all the time, whether it's a collective hunger strike, individual hunger strike, which is happening right now, um, or boycotting the military courts, um, or any other things that they'll, actions that they'll make. Other things we campaign for are, for example, women or the military system itself. Uh, detention conditions, Um, human rights defenders. And human rights defenders, many times the image of the campaign was our own employees because um, generally speaking in Palestine, not only uh, Damir, human rights defenders or activists or leaders of their community, they're all the time targeted, Um, mainly uh, through administrative detention so they won't be really charged. Uh, our own uh, colleague now his name is Ayman Nasser he's mm-hmm. the legal coordinator the legal unit's coordinator so he's the one who coordinates between the lawyers the families and prisoners sessions all of that he spent more than a year a year and one month in administrative detention last year they renewed his detention period for another 4 months before him we had our legal researcher in Jerusalem he's a lawyer his name is Salah Hamour he's half French um and he spent a year in administrative detention. And Salah also crossed kind of time with uh, our ex-colleague, uh, uh, who was the media coordinator, who spent 16 months in administrative detention. And before the media coordinator, we had the same legal unit coordinator, Ayman Nasser, also in administrative detention. So it's like there is always someone in prison from the organization. Um, other than detention... There's always someone who is banned from traveling. Usually it's more than someone. Many of the of my own colleagues are banned traveling. Many of them have what we call a security ban, which means they'll never get permits to visit uh, Jerusalem, for example, or whatever. And not having permits, not be, having the security ban, means also not being able to visit relatives in prison, first-degree relatives. So many of them can't do that as well if they do have relatives, and some actually do. Um, but again, this isn't like unique to Tamir. It's the rest of the human rights organizations. It's like a space that is shrinking and the targeting is intensified the whole time. And sometimes it's personal that the person would be threatened or uh, actually detained. And sometimes the office would be raided. So the whole thing would be, everyone would be affected. Um And yeah, so it's not just the damir It's not only human rights organizations. It's the civil society as a whole. It's journalists. It's activists. It's mayors in towns. So it's many, many people who they think might even think differently or expose certain things, work on violations, and so on. Mm.
2: Lana, you're here on a tour of the U.S. Um, Can you talk a little bit about why why you're here um, what you've been speaking about and and the responses that you've gotten from audiences around here So damir has a really long relationship with the states. We have many lawyers
0: uh, whether those who are uh, Palestinian groups or prisoners groups. We've campaigned together a lot and in the past couple of years damir has been coming here in awareness sessions giving like raising awareness about the issue of prisoners. And we were thinking of taking a step further, uh, try to campaign again, have joint campaigns uh, regarding prisoners, not only Palestinian prisoners, also uh, American prisoners, um, because things aren't so different. We're not a unique case. Uh, Whatever happens in uh, the Israeli prisons does happen in here. Uh, Pre-trial detention happens here, and it's unlimited in terms of time. People can be detained for three and four years without being charged. Um, So the policies aren't really uh, that different. There are differences, but there are lots of similarities, which um, actually makes us feel that there is an importance to actually campaign together and fight those policies together. Um, I've been to New York, and now I'm in uh, uh, the Bay Area, and next I'm going to Chicago. Then I'm heading home. (laughs) Uh, but again, Adamir has many uh, relationships, not only in the states, but all over this, the the world. Um, Sahar Francis was the director is now in a lobby tour in Europe, mainly Brussels and Berlin. Last year we were in Colombia, so we also have we also have lots of relationships in in Latin America. Um, and yeah, it's it's a like big system that works everywhere. Same oppression that all needs to be uh, addressed. And when we're together, I believe we're stronger. At least we might scare them.
2: (laughs) And if people want to learn more about Ademir and the work that you're doing and your tour, where can they go?
0: You can find us everywhere. We have a website, we have a page on Facebook, Twitter, and a new also account on
2: Instagram. So they can find us anywhere. And that's Ademir, addamee org. Is that right? Yes. Lana Ramadan, thank you so much for all of your work. Um, it's really good to see you again after so many years. And thanks for coming to the Bay Area.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
2: And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks to Sharif Zakut, our music maker and production assistant. For news, information, cultural features and reviews and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net, where you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, support The Electronic Intifada by rating it and leaving a review. On behalf of all of us at The Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.